0: Today's show is brought to you by SoFi. Looking to make your finances smarter? SoFi is an innovative new finance company that's there to help. Learn how SoFi can help you reach your next goal sooner at SOFI.com. Terms and conditions apply. Visit SoFi.com legal for more information. Loans are originated by SoFi Lending Corp. This show is supported by Willis Towers Watson. They decode cybersecurity by looking at risk across your company's people, capital, and technology. Willis Towers Watson assesses your vulnerabilities, protecting you with the best-in-class solutions and helping you recover quickly from future attacks. Details at willistowerswatson.com slash recode. Recode Radio presents Recode Decode, coming to you from the Vox Media Podcast Network. Hi, I'm Kara Swisher, Executive Editor of Recode. You may know me as the person who leans in and falls over, but in my spare time, I talk tech, and you're listening to Recode Decode, a podcast about tech and media's key players, big ideas, and how they're changing the world we live in. You can find more episodes of Recode Decode anywhere you listen to your podcasts. We're on Apple Podcasts, Google Play Music, TuneIn, Stitcher, SoundCloud, and more. Or you can just visit recode.net slash podcasts for more. Today in the red chair is Cheryl Sandberg, the COO of Facebook, who I have known for a very long time, probably too long, Sheryl. Uh, she's also the author of her 2013 book, Lean In, which was a bestseller about women in the workplace. Her new book, which she co-wrote with Adam Grant, is called Option B, Facing Adversity, Building Resilience, and Finding Joy. Cheryl, welcome to the show. Thank you for having me, Karen. We're broadcasting from one of your Facebook empire buildings, correct? <laughs> Building 20. We're podcasting from my conference room conference room right here which is great i love yes. coming to facebook it's so funny because i was telling the person in front that i hadn't it's so weird to look at this because i was there when before you got to facebook and the tiny little office in palo alto so it's kind of weird to see all this growth and stuff all around you it must be odd for you too
1: well i remember when i met mark and he said what do you think about our downtown distributed offices mm-hmm. which were all these yeah. different buildings yeah, in different parts of downtown in. palo alto And I just looked at him and said, ridiculous, get yourselves into one building. (laughs) He said, what do you mean people love it? And I said, well, but you can't work together. It seems like the point of work is working together. Right. But it now took us it's, many not years. Big enough,
0: right? You've got like a distributed buildings again, but they're next to each other as much ex- as possible. Yeah, yeah. But it's so huge. It's such a such a weird thing to see. Same thing with Google. Um, so let's go back a little bit because we do have a long relationship. We met at Google a long time ago when you were running ad services and stuff there, and I didn't know you in Washington when you were a big Washington muckety muck. But it's it's been a very long uh, career, but and you've done a lot of different things in your career, especially Facebook. But let's talk about this book that you were writing. Let's first talk about Lean ad. Can you talk a little bit about the implications of that and the results of that, and
1: how you feel about how that did? Well, I remember talking to you about writing this book. Yes, you refused to take my excellent advice to write it. Yeah, <laughs> for a long time, you yeah. told me to write a book. Yeah, and I was one of you were I was not going to write a book. And well, then, you
0: had given that amazing speech at TED. Was it TED Women?
1: I gave a TED talk, which they titled "Why We Have Too Few Women Leaders." Right. And And, you said
0: that was enough. You said the video did really well. It had millions of things. And I said, it should be a book. And you refused to do it until Oprah convinced you. And you said, (laughs) Oprah convinced me. I'm like, what? Why does
1: Oprah get the credit for this? Really, the person who convinced me was Jennifer Walsh. She runs book publishing for WME. And she got me to give a speech to her people. And she followed me into the ladies room. Oh, And she said, you have to write this as a book. Mm Mm-hmm. And I said, I don't write books. Right. And then she said something really important. She said, you're waiting for someone else to do this. Right. But this speech right. at least has to come from yes, you. Yes, it had a lot of resonance. The
0: video did. Absolutely. And, and you thought you'd said it all in that video, I remember you saying.
1: I was like, I have nothing left to say. But then I, I did have more to say. And due to your encouragement and Jennifer's and others, I wrote Lean In. And I loved writing the book. I actually <laughs> turned out to love writing. And I've <laughs> been writing a lot ever since. I just believe very deeply that the world would be a better place if it weren't run as it's currently run, mm-hmm. which is by men. Mm-hmm. And I love how when I say the world is still run by men, and right. sometimes I say the world is still run by white men, mm-hmm. people gasp right. as if that's news. right? Well, that's not news. No, That's obvious. And I think we would be stronger if half our companies and countries were run by women and half our homes are run by men and we're a long way from getting there. And so writing Lean In was part of you know my voice and trying to say this is important probably the best thing that's happened since then is really the lean in circles Mm -hmm. we hoped we'd have a a thousand there we've formed by my nonprofit. anyone can start one all the materials are Mm -hmm. free think 10 people who meet once a month to support each other mostly women some men even though the one in houston has hundreds of people because they say everything's bigger in the state of texas (laughs) But we were hoping for 1,000. And today there are 33,000 in 150 countries. We grow by almost 100 a week. And the women in them, two-thirds of them will take on a new challenge because of the encouragement of their circle. And this is a support group or it's a circle? It's a support group, essentially. It's, you know, people have called it book club with a purpose. People have called it support group. People have called it friend group. It's a place for women to be explicitly ambitious. Mm -hmm. Not to hide it, not to apologize for it, but to have a group of peers and people who they can say, Here's what I want to do. Here's what I believe I can do. Here's what someone is telling me I can't do.
2: Mm-hmm. So you and find I think those helpful. So,
1: and you've continued to give
0: them tools and things like that mm-hmm. through the Lean and nonprofit,
1: correct? Yeah, we put up educational materials, whether they're videos or um, lectures or recommend articles or write out Q and As, negotiating advice. Here's how you give a great speech. That type of real, real concrete things people can do, and the circles self form and. It's incredible. Just in the last week, I was in Boston and D.C., and I got to meet with the Boston and D.C. chapters, which mm-hmm. are the What happens when you show up? Is it like sort of Beyonce showing up? To these <laughs> no. <different circles? laughs> no, oh, but what, what happens is women tell me about the challenges they face mm-hmm. and how they are more able to meet them because they have this formal group they're meeting with every month. And I really believe this, and it goes to this book too. We can't do anything alone. We mm-hmm. need support. And women do not get enough support to lead. Right. We tell so, women over and over they shouldn't lead and we need to tell them they should, and these circles are doing that. How
0: would you assist? Because you at the time of the book you got a lot of pushback. You know, they call it corporate feminism, all kinds of things. How do you did you did you ignore the critics of it? Because I remember you and I discussing a New York Times piece that I thought was unfair because they discussed your shoes in a way that I thought was ridiculous. It doesn't matter what shoes you wear.
1: But you got a lot of pushback to it. Do you did you feel like you answered that well enough, or do you feel like well, like always, you know, some of the pushback was stuff that was hard to read. Some of it, some of it was true. Mm-hmm. You know, one of the most important things that happened, and it's in this book, is I lost Dave. Mm-hmm. And then, sorry, that's not one of the most important things right. that happens. That's the most important thing for me. Mm-hmm. But one of the most important things that happened after that was my really thinking about some of the things I had done and said before. And in Lean In, I wrote about different forms of family structure. And you talked about Dave, about having a partner that was very helpful. Well, that's what I did. I wrote mm-hmm. a whole chapter called Make Your Partner a Real Partner. Mm-hmm. And even with all the other things I wrote in that book about different forms of family structure, that chapter must have been really hard to read. I I find Father's Day brutal, just mm-hmm. Father's Day, the fact mm-hmm. that it exists, the fact that it's coming up again this year and I know it's going to come next year. And it really made me think about it. And I wrote a post for Mother's Day last year where I wrote, I got this wrong, and I'm mm-hmm. sorry about that. Mm-hmm. And I've had a chance to think about things differently. All right. Before we move
0: to Option B, what do you think now of of the strides or not lack of strides women have made? You've just said there's not enough women in places. What do you imagine we should do, and where do you see women right now in the worst place? Because Silicon Valley is now rife with stories of abuse you know sexual harassment sexism same same old same old it seems or worse often
1: yeah sexual harassment needs to not happen we need more women at the top of organizations we need more underrepresented minorities at the top of organizations we need or we to need use men not to do this or to stop people from doing this at the same of, time of course mm-hmm. like the the terrible behavior that shouldn't exist anymore that still does needs to be gone and out and out quickly and we need more full representation and we'll build better products and we'll be better employers and better colleagues. I remain in the face of all the challenges, both a believer and an optimist, because I think it will be better for families and for the world. Well,
0: have we made strides, do you think?
1: In some ways. I mean not enough, but mm-hmm. some ways. So the pay gap when Lenin came out was twenty three percent for the average woman, today it's twenty. Three cents. Not enough, mm-hmm. better than going the other way, but we can't celebrate that. We need to keep working until mm-hmm. it's zero. There, are, um, there is the belief that progress happens person by person. You know, one person runs for the U.S. Congress. One person runs for mayor. One person steps up her hand for the project at work. And that's what's going to get us there. And I just believe that the long arc of history is on our side. And do you think you've become a feminist figure or do you think you've done, I mean, because people often,
0: again, like around the women's march and stuff like that wanted more leadership from you. Does it put you in a, in a spot where
1: you have to be a leader all
0: the time on this?
1: Well, I was sorry I didn't march and I said that, but I am a feminist. <laughs> I am proud to be a feminist. I wrote it in Lean In. I would scream it from the rooftops. I'm a feminist because I believe that equality for gender on gender is critically important. And I think everyone should be a feminist. And what do you with think the correct definition you should do that more word.
0: of? What are, what are you lacking in doing? And then we'll get to option B. I mean, you're someone who does assess yourself. What do you think you haven't done enough of?
1: Well, I wish I had marched or posted about the march. And that, and that was a personal thing. And I think I would do it differently if I could I could do it again. I try to do everything I can. I'm, you know, very invested in growing Lean In. We, are, we have launched optionb.org as well, but we're just as invested and more so putting more time, more resources, Mm -hmm. more energy into Lean In. As I've been traveling around for Facebook and for Option B, I always meet with Lean In circles. And it's one of the best things I do is to hear from these women who are, you know, facing real things, but right. also working right. hard right. to get the leadership positions they deserve and exerting real influence. And that's pretty exciting. And in legislation and other ways, you gave a lot of money to Planned Parenthood, for example, which they need now. And I've been speaking out about legislation. I did a post recently about really what the details of family medical leave should be. Mm-hmm. I mean, our legislative priorities are wrong. We're mm-hmm. the only developed country in the world that doesn't have paid maternity leave. Mm-hmm. We're behind everybody. All- we're behind everyone yeah. who's developed. Talk about, and we need paternity leave, you know, paid family medical leave. I thought about this before Dave died and then after Dave died even more. No one should face the choice this morning, and so many people do, of do I take care of a sick child or, or do I lose my job and the mm-hmm. roof over my head? Mm-hmm. No one should not be able to take care of their own illness, their family's illness, take time off for bereavement leave. Right. And our corporate policies aren't good enough and our public policy is sorely lacking and we need to fix it. All right, we're gonna talk about the changing workplace later in the thing, but let's talk about the, getting this book together. So you, you gave another speech,
0: at, which was incredibly well-received at, was it Berkeley or Berkeley, which you choked up, which it was highly emotional, which was one of the first times you really, you, you had been on Facebook, uh, which you had never been because, I mean, a lot of people see you as a pretty buttoned up, corporate lady in a lot of ways. Um, but you really let go both on Facebook and in this speech. How did you get to this book? Talk a little bit about the process for people who don't know. I mean, you've got a lot of press on this book and everything else. People know you very well. But talk about the process of getting to this.
1: Losing Dave was devastating. I mean, you were a friend of Dave's. Mm-hmm. And I, I, I mean, you told me and you said you you were devastated too. And mm-hmm. you know, for me and my children, it changed everything and changed it overnight and in, in horrible ways. And as the minutes became days, became weeks, all of which felt like months and years and decades, it wasn't just the grief. It was a real sense of isolation. Mm-hmm. I mean, you and I actually spoke a bunch. then yeah. And you lost your father yeah. young and you had experienced real yep. grief. And so it was very easy. Yeah to talk to you about this, but you had experienced what I experienced Mm -hmm. was that people who hadn't experienced something like this. Well, a
0: sudden and devastating loss, especially.
1: Yeah, but they didn't know what to say. Right. And so, you know, I used to drop my kids off at school and everyone would say hi and I would say hi and walk into work and everyone would chit chat and a lot of that stopped. Mm -hmm. And so I felt not only the loss of Dave and this huge grief, but increasingly alone. Mm -hmm. And the Jewish period of mourning for a spouse is 30 days. It's called Shalashim and it was coming to that period. I'd been journaling like every night, every other night pouring out of me. Mm-hmm. I was grateful who that I- Who suggested journaling to you? You write a lot about that. Just you started doing it. No one did it. And I think it's because I wrote Lean In that mm-hmm. I somewhere along the way became mm-hmm. someone who writing is part of who I am now. Sure. And thank, I'm and so this is grateful. is a hand
0: journal, right?
1: I type. Oh, you type. Okay. No, because my hand hurts. I have right. like little-
0: Okay. All right. So you were
1: typing a journal and, what, and you just started doing it because- It just, I don't know. My, my first line in my journal is I'm going to bury my husband. I don't know why I'm writing this. I don't know why, but I wrote and wrote and wrote. It Mm -hmm. just poured out of me. Mm -hmm. And so I started turning that into what, what what I would say to everyone to stop the silence. Mm -hmm. And I wrote it as a a fake book post that I was never going to post. And I went to bed the night before feeling good that I had Gotten gotten it out, but there's no way I'm posting this. It's too honest. And then I woke up the next morning, and there are so many bad moments in this, Mm -hmm. but that was one of the bad ones, really Mm -hmm. terrible. It just felt so awful. Mm -hmm. And then I thought, you know what? I'm going to post this because things aren't going to get worse. They might get better. And it was very open and a kind of sharing I had never done before. And it actually helped so much. It did not take away the grief, but it took away a bunch of the isolation. Mm -hmm. A friend from work said she had been driving by my house almost every day and had never come in. Because she was scared to. She was scared to. So she started coming in and I needed her and strangers posted, you know, I've lost this, I've lost this person, I lost a twin, I lost a baby, I lost Mm -hmm. a husband and other people. One woman said she lost her husband and another woman she worked with. Didn't know. Didn't know. And I didn't know either one of them. But rather than feel so isolated, I felt connected to all of these people who were experiencing loss and breaking the isolation. Do you find really that unu- Unusual in an
0: oversharing economy pushed a lot by Facebook, by the way, which you run. We don't share. You're talking about not really sharing.
1: Well, we share in some ways, but we don't share in others. Mm-hmm. And it's not just death that ushers in this huge elephant that's following behind us, trampling mm-hmm. over our relationships. Mm-hmm. You want to silence a room? Tell someone you have cancer. Mm-hmm. Your father just went to prison. Your mother just lost her job. You just lost her job. You were raped. Mm-hmm. These things happen to people every day. Mm-hmm. And it's not that everyone wants to share everything at all times, but we really leave people alone when we need them the most. Mm-hmm. When I needed people the most was after Dave died and people were afraid. Right. And I understood that because I used to do that. Right. If someone was going through something hard, I would say something the first time, I'm so sorry, but then I thought if I brought it up again I was reminding them. Yeah. It was
0: interesting cuz last night I was at an event for the Tipping Point and someone we both know has having some issues with their kids and I said how's it going and they're like no one ever asked me. Like cuz they had told it to me and I was like why not? Like it was fascinating. You know, they're like thank you for asking. I'm like
1: wow, and does nobody they're like nobody wants to talk about it, which was interesting. This is what we heard from every people who have everything mm-hmm. from cancer to other illnesses to any kind of and me too. Mm-hmm. And the other thing people do, and I did this mm-hmm. before, was anything I can do, is there anything I can do? Which mm-hmm. I asked a lot of people. I meant very kindly. But the problem is it kind of shifts the burden to the person. To tell you what they need. And it's really hard. Well, can you make fathers go away?
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Can you make sure my kids and I aren't alone on any Thanksgiving ever because our little family of three feels so small mm-hmm. still? hmm Just so... You know Dan Levy, amazing yes. mm-hmm. family. His, he and his wife Esther tragically lost their son, one of their sons. They were in the hospital for months, and one of their friends texted and said, I'm in the lobby of the hospital for a hug for the next hour if you come down or not. A mm-hmm. friend of mine read the book, read, read Option B, and she has a friend, not a close friend, but mm-hmm. a friend, mm-hmm whose daughter was in the hospital. And she said before she read the book, she would have done nothing. She's not her best friend. It's inappropriate to. Right, right. We, but we, she read the book. So she went to the toy store. She bought a toy. She went to the lobby of the hospital and texted, I'm here in case you want to see me. But if not, I'll leave this toy downstairs for mm-hmm. you. The woman texted, please come up. She gave the four-year-old the toy. She said the woman was standing behind the four-year-old crying hysterically. hmm thank you for being here. Right, right. And no one else was. Well, I'm going to get into
0: this because you have a lot of research around this kind of stuff. But so get to the book. So you you gave this speech. You wrote the
1: post. I wrote then- the post and then I gave the Berkeley commencement speech. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think by the time by the time I gave the Berkeley commencement speech, I was already working on the book. So I wrote the post mm-hmm. and I really hadn't thought at all about writing a book. It was very intensive journaling. And then in the new year, right when the new year turned, Adam and I talked about Writing. This is Adam Grant. Can you Adam who Grant. he is for people who don't? Yeah. Know? Adam Grant is a very good friend of mine. I met him through Dave. He's a professor at Wharton in psychology. And when Dave died, I was, I didn't know what to do, particularly mm-hmm. for my kids. And I turned to Adam and said, tell me, tell me what to do. How mm-hmm. do I get my kids through this? How do I get myself through this? And he started answering with things that really helped me, which is partially with the research. Right. Which okay. you love, which you. I love. And You know, in a situation where I have no idea how to handle grieving children. My Mm -hmm. children lost their father when they were 7 and 10. That didn't happen to me. Right. It did happen to you. Right. But I had no experience. Mm -hmm. And so him saying, okay, here's a study. There's been one longitudinal study that was done on children whose parents divorced or died. And here's what it said. Mm -hmm. For me, was incredibly helpful. Mm -hmm. It didn't take away the grief or the the Right, but it gives you guideposts. Just something to do. Something that might help a tiny bit. Mm Mm-hmm. And then we started looking for resilience, trying to study resilience, understanding resilience, thinking about other people that had faced all kinds of challenges. Just he was doing it to help me, and I was doing it to help my children and Mm -hmm. learn. And we had written together. We wrote a New York Times series on women in the workplace together. And so when the year turned... We decided we would write this as a book.
0: Were you worried about, I mean, here you were, you posted on Facebook when you thought you weren't going to about this and you got a lot of response. Picking this as a book, most people thought you'd write another book about feminism, of course, and not this. And obviously your life changed drastically when Dave died. Were there any worries for you writing about this, the concept, or did you feel like you wanted to do another thing that helps people or guides people? Because this is not just women, this is the human race, because everybody faces some level of adversity and has to either find resilience or not
1: at all. I think I was and still am looking for meaning in Dave's death. Mm-hmm. Something to mm-hmm. hang on to because without that, there's nothing except right. death and darkness and right. tragedy. One of my favorite stories in the book is a man named Joe Casper. And it was a story Adam told me early before we were working on the book. He was a doctor, so he dealt with other people's life and death regularly. Mm-hmm. But then his son died. right? And so he went back to study get a master's in psychology and he was adam's student Mm -hmm. and now along with being a doctor he counsels other bereaved parents in his spare time and he came up with this concept he calls Mm co-destiny that as he helps other parents he's extending his son's ryan's life and you knew Mm -hmm. dave so well Mm -hmm. dave i know i'm biased i Mm -hmm. married him but he was one of the most giving people i've ever met right i mean just you were at the funeral. Mm-hmm. Someone, Xander on stage, our mm-hmm. friend Xander said, raise your hand if Dave Goldberg changed your life. Mm-hmm. And a sea of hands went up. Mm-hmm. Dave gave so generously to those people around him. And so if option B helps anyone through anything hard, mm-hmm. I love Joe's idea that maybe it extends his legacy and mm-hmm. even his life and memory a little bit. Right. And for me... That means
0: everything. Absolutely. So we're gonna talk a little bit more about the book itself, what's in the book. But can you talk about what I for those who don't know, I know you've got a ton of press about this. There's Cheryl on the cover of this and this and that. By the way, a beautiful photo of you. Explain the option B title. It's from your friend Phil, who I adore, who's fantastic. Could Am I you allowed just to for, curse or please do okay. say fuck as much as Okay. I want. Well it's not that word. All right,
1: okay. So we were at our friend Phil Deutsch, dear friend's mm-hmm. um fiftieth birthday, uh when Dave died suddenly. And so a few weeks later. There was a they Father were with you. They, they were, were with me. Marnie and Phil were with me, his wife Marnie. Uh, there was a father-son activity that Dave was supposed to do with our son, and Dave wasn't there, and so Phil and I brainstormed who could go with mm-hmm. our son, and we gave my son some options. And I said, okay, but I want Dave. Mm-hmm. Dave's supposed to do this with our son, and Phil put his arm around me and said, option A is not available, so let's just kick the shit out of option B. Right. And he didn't say, you're going to kick the shit out of option B. He said, let's, we, mm-hmm. we, mm-hmm. we are going to do this together. Right. And I think everyone lives some form of option B, whether it's losing sure. a parent as you did or my kids did, whether it's the job you didn't get, the love that got away, the marriage that didn't work out. Even if it's the small things and sometimes the big things, nothing's perfect. Except and so we're all you still living.
0: still want option A. That's the thing is I think people, how to get beyond that is very difficult for people.
1: Well, I'm not even sure you get beyond that. I still mm-hmm. want option A. Mm-hmm. I would love to trade every single thing I've learned to get Dave back. Mm-hmm. I would like a day, an hour mm-hmm. with mm-hmm. him. Mm-hmm. but I can't have that. But I can try to make the most of option B. And I think for me, trying to make the most of option B is this book in the community we launched. All right, we're going to talk more in detail about
0: the book in a second. We're with Cheryl Sandberg who is also the CEO of Facebook, but right now she's talking about a book she wrote with co-wrote with Adam Grant which is called Option B: Facing Adversity, Building Resilience and Finding Joy. This podcast is brought to you by Sofi. If you worked hard to get where you are, Sofi can help you save money on the student loans that got you there. Refinancing student loans with Sofi can save an average of $22,359 over the lifetime of a loan. With federal and private loans consolidated into one monthly payment, you can save time too. Plus, becoming a SOFI member comes with all kinds of useful benefits like unemployment protection, free invites to exclusive events, and a rate discount on any other SOFI loan you get. Learn more and find your rate in two minutes at sofi.com. That's S O F I.com. Terms and conditions apply, loans originated by SoFi Lending Corp and not available in all states. See SoFi.com legal for important average savings information. I want to tell you about Too Embarrassed to Ask, my other podcast, which I host with Lauren Good of The Verge.
2: Oh, uh, hey, Kira, I, I'm here. I brought you your um, your $12 fancy juice that you requested.
0: Thank you very much, Lauren. I've allowed you into the sanctum that is Rico Deco. Oh, Just look at that to red top. chair. Thank you, thank you. Every Friday I'm going to discuss, we answer your questions about consumer tech. Lauren, what did we talk about this week?
1: This week we talked about money. Mm-hmm. Rico's Jason Del Rey joined us to answer questions about Apple's possible venture into peer-to-peer payments. Peer-to-peer mm-hmm. payments, of course, being you know things like Venmo and Square Cash and ways in which people are already paying each other from phone to phone. And Jason has reported exclusively that it looks like Apple might be getting into this. Absolutely. It's
0: a really interesting area about where payments are going, and obviously online and digital, and there's issues around fraud and all kinds
1: of things. Right. And Apple is such a giant people are saying okay well they already have apple pay what does it mean if they get into peer to peer and really like how are banks going to react once all these companies start offering things like prepaid
0: debit cards yeah they actually have to be innovative interesting it was a really great discussion and we hope you'll go listen to it you can find too embarrassed to ask on apple Podcasts, google play music or wherever you listen to podcasts that's too embarrassed to ask see you there. We're here with Cheryl Sandberg, who has written a book with Adam Grant called Option B, Facing Adversity, Building Resilience, and Finding Joy. We're at Facebook's headquarters in, what town is this? Menlo Park. Menlo Park. California. Where she happens to be the COO of the company, which is the number two spot, um, and has gotten very well known for her business acumen. But in this case, she's writing about grief, and she's writing about resilience. So uh, let's talk about the book specifically, some of the things in the book that struck in. Your first part was devastating, I have to say. You know, and I, you and I talked about it. You showed it to me when you had first written it. It must have been terrible to write. I have to say I was really kind of surprised because you're not, you are someone who holds things. You know, most people think of you as someone who's very in control. We all joke about it, you know, with you all the time. Um, But, you know, you're just like in charge, Cheryl, and even your mom jokes about it and things like that. What was that to do that, to give that up? Because that's giving up quite a bit of yourself when you're talking about specifics of Dave's death and then
1: how you felt about it. People ask me that, and it, it's so interesting because, for me, the hard thing is not writing about it and sharing it. It's living it. Right. right. Like, living it was so horrific that anything else just pales in sure. comparison. If you can right. squeeze some meaning mm-hmm. by sharing it, it, it's the only way, I think, to make some sense or some something out of the suffering. But living it was truly horrible. Mm-hmm. I had never faced anything this traumatic i had known very few people that faced anything this traumatic dave's death was sudden and completely unexpected and the grief was horrific
0: can we talk for a minute how important he i mean people don't i don't realize how important he was to you and your career and everything else not just what you wrote about in the book but in terms of balancing you in a lot of ways
1: I mean, Dave was amazing. You knew him. Dave Mm -hmm. was completely brilliant and had very strong opinions about a lot of things. He did. But could also listen to anyone else about Mm -hmm. theirs, which is very unusual. Dave was hysterical. Mm -hmm. A lot of people don't know that about Mm -hmm. him. He played a lot of April Fool's jokes. Mm -hmm. Not always on April Fool's. Mm -hmm. Almost always on (laughs) me. But some on his co-workers Mm -hmm. at Survey Monkey. Dave, and this I think is what you're getting at, Dave was a rock. Mm -hmm. And I am not. And people I am, are
0: surprised by that. I always say, no, no, he was critical to her success.
1: Oh, yeah. No, well, he was just always so calm. Mm-hmm. Nothing ruffled him, you know. And I'm more up and down. I yeah. have, like, amazing days and really hard days and can be much more, much more emotive than he was. And he was just the rock, and he was always the one who told me it would be okay. He showed me the internet. We were friends for six years before we did. Right, Very right. good friends. He showed me the internet for the first time. Mm-hmm. It was his part of his advice. Well, so that, what did he say? Here's the internet? Yeah. He said, you have to see this thing. <laughs> I was like, this is awesome. <laughs> who knew? Look at that.
0: I remember in his you office. You should get a job in this
1: area. I didn't get a job in that area for years yeah. later, but yeah. it was part of it. Where was that? In D.C.? I was in D.C. I was in uh, L.A. at the time, and then I moved to D.C. He helped me pick Google. Mm-hmm. Uh, he helped me say no no that's good that company's going to grow that's a great product right, and good helped choice. me really understand it um he didn't bring it to yahoo that's a good thing he wasn't yeah, yahoo that's right? right well he wasn't yahoo yet mm-hmm. when i went to google he was in his own company and then they sold he sold it to yahoo he was uh, you know a huge part of my coming to facebook mm-hmm. he was one of the first facebook users he believed in the product he went out to dinner with me and mark and priscilla Mm -hmm. You know, I wouldn't have taken a job like this unless Dave knew Mark and had a chance to meet him. So he was a huge part of my personal life obviously it's right. like the understatement of the year and father right. of my children right. and my co-parent and his you know, i'm good advice at dave was know no to i love going down dave line
0: um because i talk it, about people, dave all year yeah you'll never get me off part this podcast silicon valley. i'm sit here and <laughs> talk dave um, especially, especially the good parts yeah. oh yeah well, you're he, never he was get an important me part off. of silicon valley too i think he was really one of the few people i trusted actually i'll be honest with you. you know what i mean like in terms of giving the straight story Of what was happening and the honest story, which is, I know it's unusual to say that people lie, but they lie to themselves a lot of the time and he didn't, which was very useful.
1: And more, yes. And more than that, Dave had time for everyone. Mm -hmm. I meet people to this day that I've never heard of Mm -hmm. who won't say I knew your husband. That's expected, but he changed my life. And here's why. He gave me the critical piece of advice. Mark Zuckerberg said something about Dave, I think is true. He said, there are a lot of people who really like to give advice. And there are a lot of people who give very good advice. And there's not usually a huge intersection of those two things. <laughs> and he said the reason Dave was so unusual is he like, was very happy to spend his time mm-hmm. with other people, giving advice, like really generous, mm-hmm. but also gave really good advice. Mm-hmm. And everyone turned to him. Mark and I turned to him. Yeah, all the time. Yeah, All the time. And he was funny.
0: He really was funny. He could have been a journalist. That's what I used to tell him. I used to drag him along in a lot of my <laughs> stories. And he's the only person I did drag along. We went to the app. I was telling you I went to when the Apple iPhone was stolen. He's the person I took to the bar to do the investigation, and we did a little video there, and he was, like, posing, and he's, like, sitting on the seat and going, like, it was very funny, and I, nobody would do that. Like, or I wouldn't want anybody to do that, which I think was interesting. So it, I was really struck by how descriptive you were in, in, in introducing this. I think it was critical to making the book work, because I think if you stood away from it, it would be really hard. What was your goal there in terms of getting people to understand the devastation would be my guess, or... I don't know if I was
1: as thoughtful or strategic about it as you're making it type. sounds. Yeah. No, I mean, I wrote the personal parts of the book as a journal. Mm-hmm. I never wrote them for a book. I wrote them long before the book. Okay. And so the personal parts of the book were lifted from my journal. There are parts there that, that are unedited, and I'm honest about that. And there are parts that are heavily edited, mm-hmm. which, you know, I'm sharing what I want to share and what I'm willing to share. And I was definitely pushed mm-hmm. by Adam, by the editors, by friends like you to share mm-hmm. more. Because yeah. if you don't share, yeah. it's hard to help anyone rebuild if they don't. If they don't understand the devastation. Well, your parts are the most compelling,
0: including being unhappy with people and not liking reaction, getting angry at people and stuff like that. Those are the more compelling parts, I think, in a lot of ways.
1: Well, for me, the personal parts came from my journal. The most compelling parts for me are actually the stories from other people. I Mm -hmm. mean, there's this huge range of people that have faced adversity. And often you don't know, there was a a recruiter named Stephen Thompson who worked as part of my team at Google. Mm -hmm. And I did not know Mm His mother abandoned him and his siblings when he was nine in a hotel room. It took child services days to find them. Mm-hmm. I mean, think about that kind of devastation. at a dinner party.
0: There's someone, uh, someone I unlikely told me this, a similar story. And I was like, what? Like uh, something like, with a parent that was just awful. And it was shocking, actually.
1: People face unbelievable things, you mm-hmm. know, from going to prison to crime, to violence, to being raped and abused and job loss and the everyday struggles and not every story has a happy ending, and I'm super clear about that. But there are people who rebound and recover. And for me, the most compelling parts of the book are those stories. So talk about sort
0: of the tools that you're talking about, because each of your stories is trying to make a point about a certain thing. So can you go through a few of those, um, the, yeah. the critical ones that you think are important? Well, one, one was talking things- about it. One was getting Yeah,
1: through- the most important thing, Adam... I learned from adam and adam and i researched was we don't have a fixed amount of resilience we build it mm-hmm. we build it in ourselves and each other and our kids and our colleagues and so there are specific things you can do and so adam told me early about the three p's which are the traps mm-hmm. where you don't recover how do you build resilience to avoid the three p's personalization pervasiveness and and permanence okay go through personalization them. blaming yourself when dave died i blame myself why I'm the only person in my family who's not a doctor. (laughs) Okay. At first, we thought he had fallen off an exercise machine. An autopsy proved that untrue. He died of a coronary. An aortic aneurysm is not true. Yeah, coronary. er er And then I thought, well, why didn't I know he had coronary artery disease? And it took me a while to get over that. And once I got over that, I was like, well, my mom's here for a month. All my friends are dropping their stuff. I need so much help. I just kept saying sorry. Mm -hmm. And we personalize not just mistakes that are our fault, but that aren't our fault but the ones that are and no matter what what it possibly could have been your fault in any of that but it wasn't Mm -hmm. but i still felt guilty and bad all the time and there are mistakes people make that aren't their fault Mm -hmm. and we can't personalize those either and that doesn't mean we let people off the hook and there's Mm -hmm. no punishment none of that Mm -hmm. but we have to show ourselves compassion we have to treat ourselves with the kindness we would a friend there's this great ted talk we put up on option dot org. And it's a woman talking about a friend Which is another organization that you have related to this. Mm-hmm. We launched a community along with the book yeah, right. for people to Same, come together. Same similar thing to lean in. Yeah, we don't have in-person circles. We have online groups, but mm-hmm. they're around discrimination and violence and coping with grief, and they're amazing already. Mm-hmm. We put up a TED Talk. This woman talked about a friend who got divorced, mm-hmm. got met someone, went on her first date, was all excited, got all dressed up, and 10 minutes in, the guy walks out. So a friend says to her, friend says to her, you know, you're not attractive and you're boring. Except a friend would never say that to her. Right, yeah. She said it to herself. Right. Yeah. Yeah. We would yeah. never say that to a friend. But I might, we, but go ahead. No, we would never say that to a friend, but we would huh. say that to ourselves. We are not kind to ourselves, men and women, but women particularly. Right. Self-compassion. Right. Mistakes we make, mistakes we don't make, treat ourselves with kindness. Well, it's sort of like that
0: Amy Schumer skit where I'm so ugly. No, no, I'm so ugly. Do you, remember, you ever yeah. see it? It's yeah. a very funny skit. And then someone says, no, I think I look good. And everyone's heads blow <laughs> off. <laughs> they actually physically blow off. It's very funny. But it, it is an interesting thing because I often compliment myself and people are like, Kara, you have a I'm like, but I am great. Like, why should I not say it? It's really, it, it is, and women are often the ones saying you shouldn't say it, which is...
1: But kindness, personalization, yes. it is not your fault. Or right. if it is your fault, you have to be compassionate yeah. to yourself. Pervasiveness, just because one part of our life could be in shambles mm-hmm. the way it is when someone dies. There are other things that are still good. Mm-hmm. And that was a huge lesson too. One day Adam looked at me, long before I worked on the book, just for me and said... You should think about what could be worse. Mm-hmm. It's like, what could be worse? Right. Dave just died. Right. Are you totally nuts? And he said Dave could have had that cardiac arrhythmia driving your children. Right. All right. And immediately you're like, okay, I'm good. Kids are alive. I'm good. Right. I could have lost all three of them. And mm-hmm. it's so counterintuitive, but I thought I should look for positive thoughts. But thinking, looking for what could be better? hmm is actually really helpful because you find gratitude and you Mm -hmm. let yourself feel good about other parts of your life. If this was going to happen, this was the best way. You know what I mean? Dave has died, but my children are healthy. Right. Dave has died, but I have a job I love. Mm -hmm. You know, I have cancer, but finding the but. That's really difficult, though, because things do become pervasive. When something like this
0: happens, it's all encompassing.
1: But trying to give yourself permission to it not be. And then the third is permanence, and that was by far the hardest for me. Mm -hmm. Because in the moments where it just felt so awful and there, you know, it was every moment for a long time, it felt like it would never get better. And people kept telling me who had been through it, you told me, mm-hmm. gets better. Mm-hmm. The beginning, the way it feels, the beginning is not the way it feels forever. The grief doesn't go away entirely. Right. It never
0: feels good. It never feels perfect. You
1: know what I mean? It never, it, it never gets- goes away entirely, right. but right. it doesn't. The crushing grief of right. I'm not going to get through the day. Yes. Two years later is not the same mm-hmm. as two days later. You mm-hmm. told me that. Right. I didn't believe you. I didn't believe anyone. Well,
0: we had an interesting encounter when, when a lot. It, the only thing is, though, people were saying it'll be okay to you a lot at the beginning, and you hated that. And I ran into, I think it was the Shiva, and I think you said it'll be okay. I go, no, it really won't.
1: Like
0: I think I said the opposite, it's which was interesting. So
1: wonderful to yeah. hear that. But it was going to be better than it was at yes, the beginning. Yes, the days yes. where I felt like I couldn't get out of bed, I needed right. someone to come over and. Be with me to right. walk into my bedroom. I can mm-hmm. walk into my bedroom now. I couldn't walk into my bedroom alone for months. Right, absolutely. I didn't believe it would get better, and so part of writing this book was trying to tell people what I didn't believe at the beginning, which is it's never going away entirely, but it will get yeah, better. Yeah,
0: but you, what's interesting is that you know that on little things in life, you know, when you have some small injury or if so, you know break up with someone. You're devastated at the beginning, and then you're like years later. You're like, "What was that?" Like kind of, but so you, so you do know that intuitively, correct? But with something this big, right? Exactly. It, big. I never
1: felt like this. Right. Right. So right. it didn't feel like it so would get better.
0: So the tools that people use to do each of these things—can you give people an idea of what the tools for each of the things are? One is be nicer yourself on the on the
1: self-compassion. Write yourself a letter. Mm-hmm. Treat yourself as you would a friend. Journaling to express our feelings and recognize that they're not as permanent. Joy, joy, paying attention. Adam told me I should write down three things that, three moments of Which people joy. People
0: do it at dinner sometimes with their kids. Yeah, so.
1: three moments of joy every night. They were pretty small.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Had coffee, tasted good. And, you mm-hmm. know, my son gave me a hug without being asked. Mm-hmm. Maybe hinted at, but not directly asked, <laughs> right? But little tiny things. But what happens is I realized I went to bed every night worried about what went wrong. Mm-hmm. And now, to this day, I keep this. I go to bed every night finding those moments of joy. And I pay attention because if it happens, mm-hmm. you know, like you say something nice. Someone does mm-hmm. something. I'm like, that's going to make the notebook. Yeah. So I'm paying attention more. Yeah. Something was called three roses and a thorn. Remember you say with the kids. You yeah. You say whatever. We do best, worst, grateful. Right. But but paying attention to the things that All are right. good, even in th- if they're small. I think we often think happiness is the big stuff.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Getting a job. Falling in love. Yeah. Having a baby, right? It's the way we spend our days. It's the small, tiny things mm-hmm. that can really matter. And then the
0: second one, personalization, what's the second one? Permanence. P-permanent.
1: Well, the permanence is believing that it will it will get better, replacing words like always with today. Mm-hmm. I will always feel this bad. Get rid of always, get rid of never, Those those corner words. Mm-hmm. Replace them with sometimes, often, mm-hmm. for now. Right. The temporal for now. Even the question I said in my post people should say how are you Mm -hmm. how are you today right that does two things it tells someone I know you're suffering right but it also has this implicit it's today right Right. today is not tomorrow is not 10 years from now
0: have your relationships with people changed? have you not have you cut relationships and that often happens during heavy periods of grief that people you don't you tend to ferret out people actually or or welcome different people into your life
1: I think how I spend my time has definitely changed Mm -hmm. I spend my time Working kids, I don't travel as much as I used to. I can't do the social dinners I mm-hmm. used to. I, not I wasn't a big social dinner person no, but you before, did these, you know that. No, you did
0: these big lady fests. I did women's was, dinners and they're dinners. gone. Mm-hmm. I don't
1: have nights to have. What? 40 they're women. gone. I
0: think cuz Dave was there, right? Dave was the only guy you let into the lady
1: fest. He was there to take put my kids to bed. right? And so yeah. now if I have women's dinners like I used to, there's no one to put my children to bed, so mm-hmm. they're gone. So right. those the the kind of peripheral social stuff doesn't happen anymore and I'm spending my time my kids working and then with my closest friends, I'm much closer with the people I was close to before. And I wouldn't, I have a very close family. I'm lucky to have super close friends. I wouldn't have thought we could be closer, but we are, mm-hmm. we definitely are. And then, that is one form of what we call post traumatic growth deeper mm-hmm. relationships and more appreciation
0: right have you shed people have you thought like i'm going to going to make a lot of people when things happen i i had a stroke as you remember many years ago and i definitely made choices started to make a lot of choices more than i did and it wasn't being mean it just was like i got a limited time i'm going to focus on the things i want to focus on
1: you know there's data in the book on this happiness in your 30s is how many friends you have and mm-hmm. happiness in your 50s and i'm a lot closer to 50 than 30 mm-hmm is the quality of friendships. And people, as they get older, tend to spend more time with fewer people. That definitely happened to me after Dave died, and my women's dinners not Mm -hmm. happening anymore are a a Mm -hmm. perfect example of that. Mm -hmm.
0: And what do you expect
1: from your friends? What do you ask? Because one of the things I'm, I'm suspecting with you is you didn't ask a lot. I had a really hard time asking, which is why the people who just did and just showed up, I felt... I mean, not that I felt so needy. I was. Mm-hmm. and I'm, Which is not a comfortable place for you, I'm guessing. Completely awful. Yeah. And, I mean, I, I tried. I had to push myself to be this open about it in the book, but I would have liked the example of someone needing so much. I mean, I, I said this. I I couldn't walk into my bedroom. Mm-hmm. I literally, walking into my room at the end of the night was just this horrific thing, and mm-hmm. I didn't want to do it. And so my sister came over, and my friends and came over. your mom was there? My mom... And then Katie and Scott Middick, my dear friends, I felt so needy and awful. Like, oh, my God, I have to be put to bed like a small child. They came over one night with a pie chart. Mm -hmm. We're not getting our share of the nights. (laughs) And they tried to convince me. They're like, we need to be here. We're grieving for Dave, too, and for you. And we need to be here for us. Mm -hmm. So it wasn't just the people that showed up. It's the people that convinced for us and... You know, now when people are going through things, I acknowledge them more. I show up more. I don't just offer to help. I help or at least try. I'm certainly trying. I'm sure Mm -hmm. I'm not doing it perfectly, but I'm doing it better than I was before. And I don't sugarcoat. Mm -hmm. I do not say to someone now who has cancer, I know you're going to be okay, Mm -hmm. which is what I would have said before if I said anything, trying to help. Now I say, I know you don't know if you're going to be okay and neither do I, Mm -hmm. but you're not going to go through this alone. I am with you. Mm -hmm. And then I check in. Mm-hmm. just like your friends. Mm-hmm. I like check in. How are you? Mm-hmm. Because they know they have cancer. Right. I'm not reminding them. Right. You have lots of stories in here and a lot of statistics. It seemed like a lot of them
0: pointed to is the ignoring of pain, like the ability, like ignoring pain. And I think a lot of people do feel like social media and other places, even like Instagram, which Facebook owns. It's sort of a happy, shiny people world in a lot. Of Although social media now has become like Twitter's a hellscape. There's some real ugly things on Facebook, as you know, that you guys have been dealing with. But a lot of social media does put that pressure on you to feel like you share, but you don't really share, or it's the presentation. I I tell people all the time when they see pictures of families, or, oh, all my friends
1: are happier than I am. Like, they aren't. They actually, they aren't. That's just the photograph or something like that. I think we share in all kinds of times and all kinds of ways. We formed these option B groups, and there's one on coping with loss, and uh, Monday was the anniversary of Dave's death, Mm -hmm. second year, and... I posted to that group and I did a post. Um, sorry. That's it. Right. I went to his grave and mm-hmm. uh, took a picture. In the Jewish tradition you put stones, there were right. stones. and, I, and I, I posted and I posted to the Coping with Grief group. There were mm-hmm. there were about four thousand people in there, four thousand people I don't know, a few I know. And it was so interesting for me because I could not have done that post publicly and I wouldn't have even done that post to my friends because right. a lot of my friends haven't experienced loss. But that post was to those people, and it was grief. Mm -hmm. It was basically today completely sucks, Mm -hmm. and I miss him. Mm -hmm. And the grief ebbs and flows, and it is flowing, and there are these horrible moments, and seeing his name on a tombstone is still something truly horrific. It is. And, you know, other friends (laughs) had been like, well, you're done with that grief thing. No one in that group would think I'm done with that grief thing because they all have it, and some of the people in there shared that someone just died in their life and some of the people said it's been five years it's been long and there is an acceptance and so I think social media is not perfect certainly right. but it is helping me and helping a lot of people and I think if you mm-hmm. look there's not just happy pictures of smiling families right. on there there's a lot of honesty right absolutely no it's true
0: I was just thinking the other day I missed my grandmother for some reason it uh, you know real close and I hadn't she's been dead a long long time but it was really interesting I just got sad like enormously sad over it and I don't know why so something happened. You should join the... Yeah, the grief group. Option B, coping
1: with loss <laughs> group, because yeah. they will understand that. Yeah,
0: yeah, I know I didn't talk about it, it's true, it's interesting. All right, we're here with Cheryl Sandberg, who's sharing some great stories from her new book, Option B, Facing Adversity, Building Resilience, and Finding Joy. She's co-written it with Adam Grant, who wrote the originals, and obviously Cheryl is the CEO of Facebook, and she wrote a book you might have heard of called Lean In. When we get back, we're going to talk about the workplace and how we make a better workplace for people. It seems a really hard time right now for a lot of people, in the work and because of all kinds of issues. We're going to talk about that. This show is brought to you by Squarespace. Make your next move with a beautiful website from Squarespace. Their award-winning templates are the most beautiful way to present your ideas online. Create a beautiful website or online store with Squarespace's all in one platform. There's nothing to install, patch, or upgrade ever. They'll set you up with a unique domain, and they provide award-winning 24-7 customer support. Squarespace is used by a wide range of creatives, people, and businesses, musicians, designers, artists, restaurants, and more. So make your next move with Squarespace. Use the offer code RECODE for 10% off your first purchase of a website or a domain. That's offer code RECODE for a 10% off your first purchase at squarespace.com. We're here with Sheryl Sandberg, who's the COO of Facebook. She's also written a new book called Option B, Facing Adversity, Building Resilience, and Finding Joy with Adam Grant, who wrote the originals. Sheryl's obviously the author of Lean In, which is a bestseller about women in the workplace. We're talking about the workplace because, you know, you talk a lot about how to make a better workplace for women in Lean In, and you talked about those issues. Obviously, we're far from where we need to be on that issue, but it's also for everybody, building a better workplace. People are worried about their jobs. This election was about jobs and not having them and how... That your dignity is lost when you don't have it, but you also don't have dignity when you don't have a job that's meaningful. So let's talk about making the workplace a better place using some of the things you learned in this book.
1: Well, I learned a lot through the process of um, of losing Dave, my friend Jeff Huber, another great, yeah. you know, great Google great God. person in, yeah. in Silicon Valley, running a great company called Grail. He said he lost his wife Laura, who a lot of us knew and loved, and. He said, "It's like you've been through a portal. You're going to be different, mm-hmm. and I'm different in so many ways. One of the most important is I really thought a lot about what kind of responsibility we have to each other. Mm-hmm. I became a single parent, but I'm right. not a single mother, as most are, given right. the resources I have. You know, 37 percent right. of women who are single mothers of all backgrounds are living in poverty, and the poverty line is." Still struggling to make ends meet, particularly right. in an area like Silicon Valley. You have to mm-hmm. be many times that. And, um, you know, 40% of you're black or Latina are, the pov- are at the poverty line. And we do not provide enough help to people who need it. We don't mm-hmm. have a safety net in this country. We do not have the right policies in our companies. We don't have the right policies publicly. We don't have maternity leave. We don't have paid family medical leave. We had generous bereavement policies at Facebook. Mm-hmm. What are they? Well, now they're 20 days for immediate family member and 10 days for an extended family member. Mm-hmm. So like a spouse or a child or a grandparent. Before Dave died, they were 10 and 5, which is still very generous. Mm-hmm. Most people don't get paid time off, and if they do, it's three days. Mm-hmm. There was a father who posted that his company gave a month of paternity leave but three to welcome that child, but three days to bury that child. Right. and. It's very short-sighted, I think, of companies. I think when we give our best to our employees, they give their best back to us. Mm-hmm. The other thing I really learned was what you have to do to help people get through things at work. You know, I've talked, I talked long ago in Lean sure. In about bringing your whole self to work. Mm-hmm. And I do think we can't leave our emotions at home. And that doesn't mean you want to like walk right. around talking about yourself with tissues all day. Yeah, but though some do. Yeah. Yeah, but more people hide things, hide I things, think, right. than do yep. that. More yep. people yep. Yes. are yep. hiding, and I'm going through something really hard, or I didn't want to tell anyone I just had a cancer diagnosis because, mm-hmm. you know, we're hiding things. Mm-hmm. You know, well, my child is really sick and might die. Just these horrible things are happening, and they are part of who we are. And right. it takes more effort in some ways to hide them than it does to share them. And so, making a workplace where we welcome people who they are, and we are able to talk and not put the elephant in the room. And be there, I think, is hugely important.
0: Why? Who do you blame for that? Because I think workplaces don't encourage that for sure. Like you're lucky in that you've got a job, and the the, the founder loves you, and you've contributed enormously to it, and have a safe job. But a lot of people don't feel safe in their jobs anymore.
1: That's right, and that's why part of what we're doing with Option B is we're trying to talk to the people who are setting the culture. Mm-hmm. You know, to the other people who are running companies like Mark, but don't have Marks. I think natural understanding of what it means to be a colleague. Because if we can be, we spend more time at work. If you work full time and you yeah. take out your sleeping hours, I'm pretty sure we spend as much time or more time at work more. Than, we, than we do at home, right? We spend mm-hmm. so much sleep, but yeah, it we do. And so supporting each other there and why really- it, Why isn't it? Why doesn't that happen? Well, I think culturally there was like a long thing of what's professional and what's personal in this false division. But mm-hmm. I think that division is long gone. I also realized- how much we have to do to not just give people the time off they need, that's the first thing to do, but also welcome them back. Mm-hmm. There was, um, you know, before I lost Dave, if someone was going through something hard, I would say, how much time off do you want? Do you want those projects taken off you? But that's it. I wouldn't say anything else because I thought it was putting pressure on them. Right. So people did that to me. They said, oh, how could you, when I came back, how could you focus given all you're going through or we don't really expect you to be able to contribute? The problem was that losing Dave really trashed my self-confidence even after writing Lean In. Mm -hmm. I thought I couldn't contribute. How could I contribute when I was barely able to get through a meeting? Mm -hmm. And so when people said, well, how could you help given all you're going through? It was telling me what I knew, which is I was... Not going to be able to do my job. I was useless. Yeah. And it really trashed my self-confidence further.
0: Mm-hmm. Which is shocking, thinking of you and lack of self-confidence.
1: But I look, I, I wrote openly in Lean In about mm-hmm. the times I struggled with self-confidence. Mm-hmm. I wrote a whole book on it. I did research. I ran around the world building up other women's self-confidence. And you say something enough, you learn it yourself. Right. So by the time I Dave died, I was in a pretty good place. Right. And then it was gone like this, just mm-hmm. flat in right. minutes. And what Mark did is he said, do you want time off? But then he said, but I thought you made a good point in that meeting. Mm-hmm. Or he said, when so I fell asleep in a meeting, mm-hmm. oh, everyone does that. right? Everyone doesn't do that. Right. No, they don't. Or I made a mistake. He's like, yeah, you would have made that mistake before. Right. But that was really reassuring. And he kept telling me I was adding value. Mm-hmm. And so now when someone's going through something, if I give them time off. But if they want to be back and they're like, no, I need to be here. You know, I've God, my husband died. I do not want to be at home. I want to be here. Mm-hmm. Please let me work. Right. Some people will feel that way. Telling them you made a good point, mm-hmm. you did a good job. Not just take time off if you need it. Both are important, but you did a good job. So it's how do we get to important. that? Because our
0: culture is not like. Look, we just passed a healthcare bill that looks pretty ugly for a lot of people. We got you know, it doesn't seem like our culture just to get to help basic healthcare. We can't get to the basic caring of our there are citizens.
1: Basic things wrong with our culture. We do not encourage women to lead. Mm-hmm. We do not encourage men to be emotional. We think people can leave their personal lives at home. We don't provide the support. These are cultural problems, Mm -hmm. and the only way thing I know to do is to keep talking about them and make it louder and make it something we can't. Is that a
0: coastal? Because people would accuse you coastal elites. Other people don't get to live the lives we do here, and you know, on the on the edges of the country where everybody is. It's been attacked this idea in a lot of ways.
1: Well, I think everyone deserves support. (laughs) Mm -hmm. We build resilience in our communities. There's a chapter in the book on collective resilience, Mm -hmm. resilience in communities. I'm giving the Virginia Tech graduation speech. Mm
0: -hmm. Oh, where where they
1: had the shooting, right? And it's the 10-year anniversary. That Mm -hmm. is a community that built resilience into the community. Community structures were strong before, which is how they got through it. No one should go through it alone. It doesn't matter where in the country you live. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. What do people deserve? We deserve a great education. We deserve to have our basic needs met. I met this past week with the directors of all the California food banks. One in three children in California yeah. faces food insecurity. We're one the wealthiest country in the world. That's completely unacceptable. Mm-hmm. And so people deserve to have their basic needs and wants taken care of and also the support they need. And that should be true everywhere in the country. Do you
0: think that's declining now? Because it does feel coarser. Uh, Our social world feels, not just social, our our political world, everything feels coarser right now. How do we get back to that? Because, I mean, we have this vision of ourselves as a country that works together and joins the united we stand, that kind of stuff.
1: Well, it certainly feels more divisive Mm -hmm. than it ever has, certainly in my lifetime. But it was interesting. At the food bank meeting, we were talking about the huge problem of hunger, and it is a huge problem in this country, and Mm -hmm. people don't understand it. Mm -hmm. People think hunger looks the way they think it looks in developing countries. Here, Mm -hmm. it often looks different, but it is just as real. And one of the directors said, we have a huge need to meet. Mm -hmm. But he said, but let's take a minute to recognize that it is a lot better than it was before free lunches. And so- You know, it feels like the times are very violent, mm-hmm. but I think most statistics tell us that violent crime is actually down, not up. And right. so we have to look at the problem squarely and we have to not be, be we have to be willing to take on culture. Mm-hmm. We take on the culture that tells little girls they're bossy, they're not bossy, right. they're future leaders. Yeah. We take on the culture that tells people not to cry at work. Right. Not that you should cry all day. People are going to cry at work. You got a lot of uh, slapback for the bossy
0: thing, I remember. And I kept trying to explain to people, she's not saying don't use word. They were like, she can't tell me what to say. And I was like, I'm not sure that's what she's saying. She's just making a point. It was fascinating. Um, yeah. They focused on
1: you not telling them what to
0: do. Well, was- we had
1: this catchy title, ban bossy. But you're right. right we didn't mean to ban the word. Right. We weren't trying to write a city ordinance. We yeah. were trying to explain to people yeah. that bossy is a word we use for girls. But right. that is a cultural problem. Right. And a lot of the issues we're dealing with, option B, One of the people who interviewed me for the book, her first question was, she said, well, everyone dies, and everyone knows someone who's died. Why can't we talk about it? (laughs) And I just looked at her like, I don't know. Right. But we need to talk about it. Right, right, right. Because it is the most basic fact of life, and it's to what you said. We don't talk about it. Right, right. Right. We're gonna try. We're trying to change that.
0: So, in terms of what are some of the tools people in workplace, if you really want to do that in a workplace, because it's again, it does seem like that's not what people are thinking about these days. It's really yeah. divisive. Like, what don't we get along about? What do, what, do, what do we disagree about?
1: So, let's start at the policy level. If you're in a company, the right policies, the right policies for people to support them, whatever they're going through—maternity, paternity, family medical leave, taking care of a sick child. The right policies for companies when someone dies, what happens to the spouse? Someone posted into one of the groups, my husband's company caught me off 24 hours. Mm -hmm. One of my family members who's a doctor had a child who was in treatment Mm -hmm. and her husband died in a freak accident and they lost their health care. Right. I mean, that's not okay. Mm -hmm. Both at a corporate policy level and a public policy level, we have a responsibility to take care of people and that includes their families. Mm -hmm. So you start at the policy level, then you obviously the public policy level because companies won't catch everyone, not Mm -hmm. everyone works and not everyone Mm -hmm. works at a company that will do the right thing. And then at a personal level, do we ask people how they are? Do we care? Do we build them up? Do we acknowledge that someone's going through cancer? Do we acknowledge that someone lost a child? And when we do that, does it make us better?
0: And does it make the company? Also, lots of things. And my
1: answer is yes, 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 Which yes. Which you
0: often, when you were doing your lean-in stuff, said, you know, you kept saying, because it's the right thing, when that didn't work, you said it's a better company. Like, you get to <laughs> the... No, it's you're so right. irritating.
1: I definitely started right. out with, right. this is the right thing to do. And, right. You know, then I got to, and it's a smart thing to do, right? Then
0: you pulled out the statistics, and, and I was like, stop of, pulling
1: out the statistics. No, but... Yeah. Why should men be good to women in the workplace? Right, right. Because if you can work better, right. it's the right thing to do. Right. But if you can work better with 50% of the population, mm-hmm. you're going to get better results. So if you're the one who doesn't have the implicit biases or recognizes your biases mm-hmm. against right. minorities, against women, you're going to outperform. If you're the company that takes care of your employees, mm-hmm. they are going to be more loyal and you will have better teams, more cohesion, more mission alignment, it's the right thing to do, but it is also good for the company. And mm-hmm. I think we have to make that case because that's right. why companies are going to do it. Right. Uh, last questions.
0: Uh, you know, Mark just wrote this essay about community. It's a little bit about that. He he finally got to the point where, yes, perhaps Facebook has a role in it. Um, it's something I've been, you know, I've been sort of screaming in Silicon Valley about growing up and taking responsibility. Now, they do have nice things for their employees. They have food and parking. And, you know, it's like, as I said, San Francisco's assisted living for millennials, um, but but it's true. And and Facebook is like ridiculous when you think about it. Never thought it. about that. Like I'm waiting to get the massage when I leave here. You know he talked about that, but part of it is not getting it out to everyone. Do you imagine? I'm going to ask the political question, though. Mark's been visiting livestock all across the country and keeps petting calves everywhere he goes. Uh, people talk about you, and you and I have talked about the political. Do you all need to get into political life, people in Silicon Valley and others, because there's a lot of stuff here that should be replicated or, or could be replicated, or can you do it from a corporate place?
1: Yeah, Mark and I aren't running for office. No, I know but that. Mark and I are traveling and meeting people and talking to people, and I'm glad for what he's done. And I think... The recognition that we have a. Why are you doing that? Why are
0: you both doing that? What is the co- what is the goal for you?
1: Well, he's done it. He's doing a lot of it mm-hmm. as part of his as part of his, his thing. I've seen him do yeah. his things before. Well, he does. You know, yeah. he learns Chinese. Yeah, hunting. Hard. I remember
0: the moose that you showed me. Where'd that go, by the way? And
1: running every right. day and right. reading books. I mean, right. it, the challenges he takes on are inspiring and right. amazing. And I just don't know how he does it, but he does yeah. it and does them well. And he's always wanted to do this. His mm-hmm. One child is young, one child on the way. It's easier to do it now, Mm -hmm. I told him and Priscilla, than it is later Mm -hmm. when your kids are in school. And Mm -hmm. so he wants a chance to talk to the people who use Facebook and see how we're impacting lives. And I think he takes that responsibility really, really seriously.
0: And you, how are you going to make these changes that you're talking about without being part of the public policy discussion?
1: Well, I am part of the public policy discussion. I'm certainly using my voice as loudly as I can and making my public policy positions clearer and clearer. I am talking not just to broad groups and book events about mm-hmm. option B, but to groups of CEOs mm-hmm. and why I think this is important. You know, why I think lean in circles in your company are important, why mm-hmm. I think your leadership on getting diversity into leadership matters and why I think the way we treat our employees the day after we launched our bereavement leave, I got an email from Lori Gohler, mm-hmm. our head of uh, mm-hmm. HR who you know, and it said, what do, and it had four companies X, X, X and X have in common. And then I opened the email and it said, they all called me to figure out what our bereavement leave was today. Ah,
0: wow. That's good. Yeah, absolutely. All right, two very short final question. What is next for Cheryl Samberg?
1: I'm trying to take it day by day. I love my job. I've been here nine and a half yeah, years. I think- You have. That's. I think Mark and I have a really special partnership and I think we have a lot to do to build community, to make sure people are safe, to make sure people are getting the information they should have on Facebook. And I'm- really excited about the next you know many years you know hopefully in this job as long as Mark will have me right oh no, please and <laughs> can't get but our you. partnership is uh is important to me and I love the mission of this company and I think I'm trying to live the lessons of my own book which I do sometimes and I fail sometimes which are to appreciate every day you know before Dave died i I never thought about it mm-hmm. like of course Dave would turn 15 mm-hmm. No one makes jokes around me about growing old. I will never make another joke, oh, I'm growing old, because not everyone gets to. That's a gift. And I want to find that appreciation as much as I can every day and appreciate it.
0: And one very last question. What do you want everyone to remember about Dave?
1: I can't say one thing about Dave. (laughs) Just how giving he was, how much good he did in this world, how special he was. Fantastic. Thank you, Cheryl Sandberg. Thank you, Kara Swisher.
0: Cheryl, it was great talking to you. Thanks for coming by. If you enjoyed the interview as much as I did, be sure to subscribe to the show. Be the first to listen to future episodes or catch up on previous episodes, including some really fantastic interviews we've done with FCC Chairman Ajit Pai, investor Bijan Sabat, and the cast of HBO's Silicon Valley, just to name a few. You can find all those episodes and more wherever you found this one and on our website, recode.net slash podcasts. Now that you're done with this, check out one of our other shows, On Recode Media with Peter Kafka, you'll hear no BS interviews with some of the smartest people in media and entertainment. I also host Too Embarrassed to Ask, along with Lauren Good of The Verge, where we answer all of your questions about consumer tech. And on Recode Replay, you can find audio from all of Recode's live events, including the Code Conference. This year at Code, we'll have Emerson Collective President Lorraine Powell Jobs, Time Warner CEO Jeff Bukas, Alphabet CFO Ruth Peratt, and many other excellent speakers. So stay tuned. Thanks for listening. Thanks also to Digital Media, the company that distributes this show, including Beth O'Connell and our editor, Chris Basil. And thank you to our producer, Eric Johnson. This has been another episode of Recode Decode. We'll have a bonus episode for you this Wednesday where I talk to the creator of The Handmaid's Tale, Bruce Miller. Tune in then.